Hi, and welcome to A Sober Girls Podcast. My name is Sherry, and I have been through various ups and downs over my time in sobriety. The one thing I love about my journey is that it's brought me to you and helping others in sobriety. If you are listening to this, then you are either wanting to start your journey or currently active in recovery and just want to hear other people's experience, strength, and hope. Either way, we are here for you, and we are the community to help you through whatever part of your journey you are on. We have something for everyone. Now, let's get started on today's journey. that you had a good rest of your week last week and a really good weekend. It seems like it's been forever since I've recorded a podcast because originally I was staying ahead of the game. And this past week just kind of went by and my husband had surgery and work was busy and my dad was here. And so it's just one of those weeks where here it is, nine o'clock on a Tuesday night and the Dodgers are playing the Braves, and I'm missing the eighth inning because I have to get this podcast recorded. But I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to spend some time with you and hang out with you. And I've already had a week, and it's only Tuesday. So we are going to get into this together. Very heavily been going over the steps lately, and I am really proud of everything that we have talked about. I have stepped out of the shadows. I have made statements in my podcast, on my Instagram, And it is such a relieving feeling, such a good feeling to be able to say these things out loud and process them with you, not feel alone. And I hope that you are listening. And because I'm out here telling my truth, that you are living your truth, that you are getting the help that you need, that you don't feel alone. That is the biggest thing. You are not alone. You are not the only person that has been abused, that has been raped, that has been sexually assaulted, that has gone through bankruptcy, lost their house, lost custody, their car, their dream job, that hasn't been the other woman or other man in an affair. You are not alone. We are all in those things together. Although, as I talked about in my last episode, and making amends and how we kind of pushed through the last four or five steps together, there was one thing that really stuck out for me and one thing that I wanted to address. So I wanted to take some time off of the steps and kind of talk about a few other things that we deal with in AA. And a lot of this came from not only doing the podcasts and doing some readings but some of it from my meetings as well. And I am so thankful for my AA community and for my meetings. And the one thing that I want to talk about today and that I found not only from my readings and my meetings and talking with other people in sobriety, but also just kind of a self-realization that the one driving force behind substance abuse is fear. An emotion that we all feel, an emotion that every human being has, but for us, for those of us who are alcoholics and addicts, it is an additional issue for us that we feel so compelled, so scared that we allow fear 
to run our lives to the point where we actually afraid to not have that substance in our life anymore. So I really started thinking back and looking back on my life and my drinking and in my sobriety and my in my youth. And there were two times that I can say that I recall feeling real fear. And the first one was when I was very young. I was probably nine or 10 and it was my turn to learn how to mow the lawn. And we had seven and a half acres, you guys. And it was in the country and I hated mowing. I hate being outside, period. Like I am just not the girl you take on an adventure anywhere. That also means camping. But I remember that I was having problems with left and right. I know, pretty bad for 9 or 10 years old, but cognitively, I was not very good with math and direction. I'm still not very good with math and direction. I put in a GPS and I can still get lost. I was more understanding of history, emotions, and music. I couldn't get it right, and after being hit repeatedly to teach me how to remember which hand was which, I only remembered which hand was which out of fear. I didn't want to get hit again. This would continue throughout school and while I was learning. I was afraid to screw up because it would mean being spanked for things like not getting math right done, taking too long to eat, or other learning instances. I'm not saying that I was never a bad kid. I am sure, as a kid, I must have done something stupid or naughty, but I never remember being punished for those the way I did my intelligence. I would spend years and hours at the table doing simple math to the point of tears because I was so scared to add things wrong because I didn't want to get yelled at or my hand slap or stood in a corner. Growing up, I was innately afraid of being wrong or stupid. And that fear stuck with me forever. That fear also taught me how to manipulate and lie from a very young age. I liked when my folks were proud of me. I'm not smart. Well, I'm smart, but I'm not quote-unquote book smart. I struggled with studying, assignments, and accomplishments as they would relate to education. I was able to hear, retain, and absorb information for tests. Somehow my grades were never a source of anger. They were definitely a source of disappointment because I never really did well before, like, maybe my junior, senior year. Even then, probably B's and C's. Um, just enough to get into a good community college. But maybe the grades weren't a source of anger because maybe I was keeping my head above water. Maybe my parents realized I was going to be a failure. Maybe it's because I was able to talk my way into a good grade at school, just enough to stay out of trouble at home. I'm not sure what it was, but from a very young age, fear was a very real and first emotion for me. And as long as I was making people happy, I didn't have to fear pain or rejection. This would be a huge plague in my life, and it would drive me headfirst into alcoholism. Another caveat for my fear growing up was being the only child of a same-sex parent. The way people felt about homosexuality in the late 80s and early 90s compounded to fear of people not only hurting my mom, but hating and hurting me because I didn't have a quote-unquote normal family. So I hid behind a persona to make things about me more likable so that even if people found out my mom was gay, 
they would think twice about it because I was a nice person. I was protecting not only my parents, but myself. I was being self-centered and selfish, but I was also living in self-preservation. This was eight, nine years old, eventually into 12 and 13 years old. Now, my mom didn't tell me to lie, but we as a family had collectively created a facade to make sure we could still fit into society at church and at my events. And looking back at it, it really pisses me off that I had to lie about my mom. That I had to live in fear of judgment of people because of the way society saw that lifestyle. But again, it would aid in my manipulation of people, places, and things. Whatever I could do to take the spotlight off of me. But what I was doing was creating another spotlight. An unhealthy spotlight. The alcoholic lives in a constant fear that they will be found out. So they live in a constant fear and anxiety-based life. And honest to God, the truth is that people already see it. People already know. People know that you're an alcoholic. People know that you're an addict. People know when you're doing something behind their back. And if they don't, it's because you're really good at lying and manipulating. People are not as dumb as we want to believe. I now celebrate my parents and I love my parents and I wouldn't change being the child of a gay parent for anything. In fact, it makes me special, tolerant, understanding, and they raise me to be a kind and loving person. The second moment of fear happened when I was sober. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I didn't have no fear when I was drinking. There was plenty of fear. The problem is, as you very, very may well have guessed, is that I was drinking. I don't remember a lot of that fear, nor did I have any fear that I couldn't manipulate my way out of. I would steal from my mom. I would also use people and manipulate people, but there was always a way for me to get out of it and around it. Even in college, my professors, there was so many things that I could do to get myself out of situations. The fear was so temporary. The fear never really grasped me the way that it did when I was younger. And probably using those substances to drown all of that had a huge part to play in it. The second moment of fear I had was when I was sober. My ex and I had moved into a crappy little town right outside an army base, and it wasn't great, but I loved the house that we were in. I was determined to make the marriage and the town work. My ex had just come back to Minnesota when I was extremely ill and I had almost died and told me he would do whatever it takes to make the marriage work. He would fix everything. He promises everything would be good. And I said, okay, I wanted to believe that after this separation, we had been separated for three months at this point, that we would be okay. However, my ex had become increasingly frustrated during our time there. I do think it was because after so many rounds of, I forgive you, wait, not yet, I was mentally checking out. To be honest, I was so tired of him saying that he was forgiving me and then once again holding something over my head it was getting exhausting. Even after therapy, after I had made amends, after I had tried everything, his anger was so great that he was not able to move past the incidents that happened in our marriage and chose to stay angry that anytime he felt inconvenienced or upset or had a bad day, 
you would come home and remind me of all the awful things that I did and everything that was wrong with me. And I was just at the point where I was, I was mentally checked out. And one night my son had either spilled milk or dropped something. And my ex picked him up at six years old, mind you, held him against the wall by his neck and spanked him and continued to spank him harder than I have ever seen in my life. I remember my son crying for me, but I knew if I got off that couch, it would only get worse. That was the second time I had felt fear. My ex could no longer hurt me, so he was resorting to hurting our son. And I knew that the real fear was that if I intervened, everything would get worse. The difference here between when I was eight or nine years old, sobriety. Instead of drinking away the fear and allowing it to continue, it was just the last straw. I was able to collect myself, my belongings, and leave. Now, it did take me some time. I did have to do some planning because without an income and without my own possessions, I would have to squirrel everything away, and that's exactly what I did. Over a year, I would spend time putting away money, trying to get furniture, clothes, and so that when it was time to leave, it was time to leave. I had spent my whole life and my marriage making excuses for abusers and the fear that I felt and the anger. I decided no more. I did my best to shield my son from the same pain that I had growing up, but clearly it wasn't working, and I was tired of living in fear. And I was not going to relapse because of it. Being sober gave me the wherewithal to pick myself up and make the decision to leave. During my drinking days, I would just drink away the fear and the pain that I had been subjected to by my abusers. Last week, we had talked about making amends and how I was afraid that some of my amends or ability to talk things out with people would be interpreted as anything but disingenuous and my friend spoke to me and reminded me that fear is the driving force behind our alcoholic behavior. It's either fear of losing something we once had or fear of not getting something that we want. It really bothered me that again, at that time when I was trying to make an amends, I was fearful. But it showed me that there were parts of my program that I had not worked on yet. Part of my character defects that crept up on me and needed to be addressed. And when I realized that there were things in my life that needed to be addressed, and I had spoken to my friend Harry and realized that fear was one of those things and fear of abandonment ended up being one of those things, I thought it was the perfect time to talk about this subject and I'll let you know that you are not alone. I think regarding that specific situation, the fear was losing people that I love. I had already been abandoned, but I am tired of losing people that I love. I hang on tight, sometimes too tight, and I become my own worst enemy and nightmare. Fear will manifest itself in many, many hidden ways that we don't realize. The fears that are so deep people won't talk about that they are all-encompassing and drive a person to seek relief. I really wanted to take a look at that. I really wanted to look at what being afraid meant for why I chose to manipulate, people please, lie, cheat, and finally use. One thing that the old timers reminded me of in one of my most recent meetings was that this is a disease of perception. On page 62 of the big book, it states, driven by a hundred forms of fear, 
self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. So, perception disorder, as discussed in AA, is a condition that causes us to view ourselves as the center of the universe. We see our world from a self-centered perspective, and we evaluate everything based on whether we feel it is good or bad for us. For example, we may enter a room just as people burst out laughing, so we lash out. We lash out and we ask why they are laughing. We shut down, we scream out. Whatever our reaction is, it's out of fear. What is this example of fear of? Well, for me, being laughed at was a way of coping with my pain. So now that I'm being laughed at, do they see my pain? Were they laughing at my pain? Or were they laughing at me? Or were they even laughing about me at all? The fear of being judged, rejected, or not belonging is what this says to me. The perception that everything is about me means that everything is truly about me. And that's scary. I hadn't or wouldn't have even had the chance to manipulate people into seeing me for something that I wasn't. Nor would I have the chance to play the clown to make everyone laugh because they were already laughing. But not with me. At me. The only way to solve this is through drinking or using, right? Many alcoholics will express the fact that when they look back at their lives with a sober mind, they were always afraid. They may not even be aware of what they were afraid of because the general notion of life would scare them. For me, it was the fear of not being smart enough, not just for myself, but for anyone else. Being smart enough, good enough, which looking at that part of the fear in those is also rejection and loss. Other fears that people experience are fear of death, ailment, loss, not being loved, loneliness, failure, and oddly, other people. Eventually, I would also have a huge fear of vulnerability. There is not one person in this world that has not betrayed my vulnerability, and I hate saying that, but it's true and why trusting people is so hard for me. When you say to someone, please don't tell someone this, and then they do, is the prime example. That happens in high school, it happens in junior high, and it happens in the adult world, people. Or when there's conflict, the reaction is to run to others instead of attempting to resolve the conflict with the person of which it relies. So then at that point, someone else knows what's going on and do you think they're not going to say anything? Nope. Or there is also the fear when you are in love with someone and you tell them your fears, concerns, and downfalls, and they use them against you. There are so many reasons why I, along with other alcoholics, are guarded. That being said, don't be an angry person. Don't stop believing in people. Don't stop trusting and loving people. Because people's inability to resolve conflict or to carry themselves with a manner of respect and honor and trust is not because of you. It is because of their own insecurities and things that they are dealing with. And when you realize that, you will understand why it's so important for you to have empathy and sympathy for other people. That doesn't mean be walked on. That doesn't mean allow people to treat you like crap. What that means is hurt people hurt people. And so if they feel hurt by something you did, their natural reaction and tendency is to either tell everyone or exploit you or cut you out of their life because it's just 
easier that way. If they can feel more like a victim and if they can make you look more like a bad guy, then that is something that will help them solve those issues. Don't stop loving and trusting and being a good person. My husband asked me the other day why it's so important for me to be so positive and happy all the time with things that happen to me. And I said, because I can either be happy and I can love people or I can be angry and bitter and guarded and take things out on people. And I spent so much time being that person that I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to say to people, you're right. I'm sorry. Can we resolve this? And if we can't, I still have to move on in a positive manner. And not everyone is the same. Not all my exes are the same. Not all my friends are the same. So that means that not everyone is the same. And not every situation is the same. And people do deserve the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't mean that I have an easy time trusting. It doesn't mean that I just let my guard down. It means that I treat every situation as a new person and I try not to hold what other people have done to me against someone else in my life. Genuineness is hard to find. Trust is hard to be earned. And we learn early in our life that when they are exploited, we tend to hide our fear in substance abuse. Fear is a universal feeling. Fear is sometimes what keeps us alive. But what we don't realize is that people are afraid to talk about fear. So we bury it. Addiction and alcoholism have nothing to do with substances. They were simply a solution to a problem. By drinking, using, smoking, we're able to relax from that momentary fear, anxiety, and pain. Fear can be overwhelming. And when it becomes unmanageable, we think we are managing it with a solution that works. And it works fast. Alcohol, drugs, even for those with eating disorders, exercise. What's scarier than fear itself is the long-term effects of drinking, using, and for people with eating disorders, exercise. We become so ingrained in fear that eventually we live in fear of living without the substance that carried us through the fear in the first place. We haven't been taught how to manage our fears. When we agree to sober up, that brings on a whole new set of fears though, doesn't it? There is nothing more scary to the newcomer than thinking about a life where they have to have fear and no way to manage it. That fear can keep us coming in and out of the rooms for years. That fear we think we have under control, which we never really do. Again, it's an illusion. The substance momentarily allows us to release those emotions and things holding us back. It allows that fear of not saying what we wanted to, to be said. Of that table we always wanted to dance on, to be danced on. That family member we wanted to tell off, to tell them off. We think we are solving our problems, but really we are having mismanaged behavior that is getting worse and making more and more resentments and broken relationships. Because our identity has been wrapped in our addiction, becoming sober, making a huge life change is very daunting. Along with facing our fears and behaviors, we also have career concerns, financial concerns, fear that we will never know who we really are, fear of facing life on life's terms, meaning no substance crutch. We are never exempt from fear, even in sobriety. No one, not even an alcoholic, will be free from fear. 
So what are ways that we deal with fear and recovery? The first thing that we do is we get a sponsor, someone to talk about your fears, and you don't have to stay sober for 100 years. Just for today, one day, that's it. Even one day can seem like a lot. But as long as you're honest, get to meetings and talk things out, you can have as many one of a days at a time. At this point, we will be able to get through years of misinformation of telling ourselves that we are not worthy, that we are not lovable, that we are not good enough or smart enough. In order to face all those fears and being willing to release them, we do have to complete the steps and work through our resentments and release the character defects to our higher power. That is a very important part of healing and the journey. There are some really great ways to deal with anxiety and fear that are not related to meetings. They do work for a lot of us in the recovery program. Meditation is one of my favorites. Closing my eyes, asking my higher power to be with me throughout the day. Meditating helps me to focus and relax, to be able to see what my higher power wants from me, what the goal is for the day, what message he is trying to convey. By giving my day to my higher power, it not only takes the pressure off of me trying to figure it out, but I am intently listening to him and seeking him before anything else. The big book says on page 68, we ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention on what he would have us to be. At once, we commence to outgrow our fear. I love that passage. It's so awesome. It gives us power, not fear. He shows me discernment, teaches me to be mindful, that when a fear comes up, I know how to stay calm in that situation and know what fear is at the same time. Just a reaction. And that can in indeed be controlled and worked through. By being mindful, I am able to make informed decisions and think things through. This next one is going to sound dumb, but I promise it's not. Being positive. Yep, be positive. Just in general, look for the good in everything. Our days can go from great to crap in a moment, and I challenge you to look at the crap and decide what is good about it. When we do this, fear becomes a guide in life. Fear becomes an asset. It teaches us. By being positive about the fear, we are leaning on our program and our higher power. I am so overly positive, I make myself sick sometimes, honest to God. It's why I stay away from negative people and energy and will legit tune people out. If you can't stay positive or nitpick anything, you will miss the beauty of the journey. I also read a lot of positive affirmations. I own my own positive energy. I read my daily devotionals, as Bill sees it, and daily reflections. I start my day out with God's word and the word of AA. Having a reminder of the program first thing in the morning is so vital to setting up my day. The daily reflections remind me that one, I am not alone. That in fact, I am able to rely on experience, strength, and hope of those who came before me. I also exercise almost every day. Whether I'm hitting my bike, weights, yoga, or doing meditation, at least one part of my body gets a workout, mentally or physically. By getting enough sleep, eating well, and exercising, my mental health is better and I am able to handle things that used to baffle me. By being completely intentional about my mental health and aware of my surroundings, fear becomes easier to manage. I am finally able to see things for what they are. 
I don't always do them perfectly. I am still human. Remember, we are not saints. We continue to grow along spiritual lines and we claim progress over perfection. Every fear is an opportunity to learn. As I was doing research for this topic, I was trying to find ways to explain my fear. I was trying to find ways to express to you, the listener, my friends, that my fear was based on not just being a kid who screwed up, but a kid who had conditioned to a response. And I found a really interesting journal from Stanford on what is called fear conditioning. And as I read it, I wept because it completely made sense to me. Fear conditioning is a behavioral paradigm in which organisms learn to predict adverse events. It is a form of learning in which an adverse stimulus is associated with a particular neutral context or neutral stimulus, resulting in the expression of fear responses to the original neutral stimulus or context. This can be done by pairing the neutral stimulus with an adverse stimulus. Eventually, the neutral stimulus alone can elicit the state of fear. In the vocabulary of classic conditioning, the neutral stimulus or context is the conditional stimulus. The adverse stimulus is the unconditional stimulus and the fear is the conditional response. Basically, what I learned from my youth was that I wasn't conditioned to learn. I was conditioned to fear and that blew my mind. I was already from a young age conditioned to realize that the only response to any action was going to be bad never good, neutral, or just okay. This has helped me a lot in talking out my concerns with my sponsor and my therapist. There are things in AA that are going to be beneficial to conquering fear and staying sober, but there are also psychological effects to fear that I believe would benefit from therapy and outside help. There is nothing wrong with asking for help. Reversing fear and abuse can take time and years. You are not broken. You are strong. You're stronger than you give yourself credit for. So if you are new here, if you are afraid, it's okay. But know that you are safe here. You have a place to talk about your fears. You have a family that wants to help you overcome those fears. We have done it ourselves and we have seen it done by others. Do not let your fear consume you. Take back your power and don't let anyone intimidate you into silence. That's why so many victims don't speak out because of shame, believing that they are solely at fault. They're not. So don't hold back. If people didn't want others to know the truth about who they are, they would have not done what they did. Own your part, be honest, and move forward. Fear doesn't live here anymore. To speak out, we find that the person who has harmed us or hurt us may not have only harmed us or hurt us, that they indeed have done it to other people. And you will find strength in knowing that you are not alone. And I know that a lot of us in AA are victims of abuse. And even if someone else hasn't been affected by your abuser or a narcissist or a manipulative friend, that we all have had those people in our lives and we can share our experience, strength, and hope. Once you work the steps, once you are able to overcome those character defects and keep your side of the street clean, you will see how much easier it is to live sober than it was to live in active addiction. Well, now that we are done with that heavy hitting, holy crap, that was a lot. And for some of you, I know that this might have been a lot to digest and really look at yourself and 
realize that maybe you're tired of living in fear, whether it's fear of letting go of the substance or fear of living in the truth. I really hope that this episode helped you to understand a few things about fear and what the program can do for you. Now that we are done with this, I would like to end, as I do, with a note of gratitude. And my note of gratitude this week that I am so excited about is I have been asked to be a speaker at a halfway house. I am going to be running meetings once or twice a month um, on Tuesday nights for women in recovery. And I am so excited. It is going to be amazing. And it's not because of this broadcast or podcast. It's because of how I have been working in my meetings and how I have been doing my service work. And my sponsor reached out to me and she was like, I think you should do this. And I thought, all right, let's do it. Let's continue to help other women in sobriety. So I will keep you updated and let you know how that's going. Next week, we will come back and we will finish the 12 steps. And then the week after that, we will have Brian on. Yay! So I hope that you all have a great rest of your week. Enjoy watching playoff baseball. And if you don't, just pretend that you do. And I will be back next week. Have a good one, fam. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on this episode of A Sober Girls Podcast. I hope you help you on your road through recovery, or if anything, help you understand that if you are not active in recovery, but want to be, that you are not alone. We are here for you. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and follow us wherever you listen to your podcast so you don't miss another episode. Also, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at a sober girls Pod and online for show notes and other information about sobriety at a sobergirlspodcast.podbean.com. I hope that you have a great rest of your week, and until next time, fam, be well.